I recently had the honor in the last few months to um, listen to a series over called Drawing Near to God by John Bevere. And if any of you have the opportunity, I would really encourage you just to get the series on CD or maybe buy the book. It's one of the most phenomenal books about drawing closer to God that you can possibly get. And the concept, the way he breaks it down is so phenomenal that I took some things down from it and I want to really just break it down tonight. Amen. Um, you've heard this verse so many times, and um, it's James chapter 4, verse 8 is the flagship scripture of this, um, of this Bible study. And it's really called, it says this, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you, amen? It says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You've got to understand some things when it talks about drawing near to God, amen? I want you to understand that this scripture right here is one of the greatest invitations you can ever, ever receive in your life. See, y'all weren't excited about that. You know how when you receive an invitation from a wedding, you're like, oh my God, someone's getting married. It's an invitation to meet Christ. It's an invitation to draw so much closer to God. You've got to bring that echo down a little more, Manny. It's a great invitation. It's hard to want something you don't know you are missing. You hearing this? Sadly, as believers, many of us have never experienced true intimacy with God because we don't understand what it is or how to achieve it. But we humans were created for intimate fellowship with God. And this has always been God's deepest desires. And scriptures clearly state that the Lord yearns. He seeks those who pursue him. Yet we must come to Jesus on his terms, not our own. We must come to God on the way he wants us to and not the way we want to. We have to understand that God has a certain set plan. Somebody say a set plan for our life. There is a call, rather a cry coming from the heart of God. With each passing day, it intensifies in your life. It increases. And the question God asks you is, why are you satisfied without my presence? Why do you remain distant from me when you could have intimacy with me? If I can put that into human perspective, uh, we've been talking the last few weeks on Wednesday nights about the relationship aspect of God. If you have not realized, I've been touching back on the foundations of faith just to put us back in touch with what really is about our relationship with Christ. And, and the relationship you have with God is almost as if Emma and Harry, uh, well, Harry, Emma and Heather, being a married couple, were to live in separate households on separate sides of the city and see each other once a week. But they're married. Legally married. But they don't live with each other. They're never intimate with each other, except maybe on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. That's the, that's the relationship some of us have with God, that we don't really get intimate with God till we come here at 11 o'clock Sunday morning. Yeah, we're praising, worshiping God, and bam, we forget about God all week long. But we're married to Christ. He's our bondservant, or we're his bondservant, rather. Uh, we're purified by the blood. He's forgiven all our sins. We're sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and yet we're living married to, God, to Christ, but yet we're living across the city from him. We don't want him in our home. That's the relationship some of us have with Christ. And you're saying, but pastor, I'm here on a Wednesday night. You ever seen a married couple? I don't know about you guys. When I was a kid, um, uh, when your parents used to beat you up, they called it you know, discipline, spank you, and it's more like torment. And then uh, you know, they'll be sitting there whipping me and like, pop, 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 pop. You know, they used to count. You know what? You're getting 25 today. And then, uh, yeah, come on, right? And then, um, and then their phone would ring. Hello? 
Que Dios le bendiga, hermana. And they were just like, you know, yelling at you and screaming at the top of their lungs. And now they're saying, God bless you, Pastor Edison. How are you doing? It's been so long. Oh, my God. And they're laughing for an hour. Get off the phone and go right back to beating the mess out of you. You thought I forgot. That's, that's how our relationship with Christ is sometimes. We're acting a fool all week long. Come to church midweek. Bam. We're in touch with God. We leave and we act the same exact way. But the greatest invitation is right there. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Tell the person next to you, draw near. All of us have friends or people that we admire, that we desire to be closer with. Amen. They hold a special place in our hearts and spending time with them is a treat, especially when it comes at their invitation. You hearing that? Everybody has somebody you love to hang out with. Everybody has somebody you like to be around. I called Lori today. I said, what are you doing? She goes, spending time with my hubby. And that was what she wanted to do. That's what she liked to do at that moment in time. I can guarantee you all the couples in the place you like spending time with each other. Amen? Everybody has that somebody. Some, <laughs> some of y'all just need to learn how to be able to coexist with each other. And I'm just kidding. I'm, I love y'all. Um, a request to share company with somebody fills you with anticipation and excitement, does it not? Isn't it horrible when somebody says, let's hang out tonight, and I'm going to call you in about an hour, I'll tell you, we're going to go to the movies and dinner, we're going to hang out, and they never ever call you? And you're home, all dressed up, nowhere to go, somebody stood you up? I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be boyfriend or girlfriend, it could be a friend. Doesn't that like just leave you like, oh my God. She's looking at somebody, she said yes, and she's looking at people. But you got to understand that sometimes, is that what you do with God? With the expectation of certain that you leave him with this expectation that you're, because God in his heart wants to believe you that you love him, that you want to serve him, that you want to be with him. And sometimes are we leaving God at the expectation where you're going to meet him at this place or in this, you know, meet him at this level of spirituality and you never get there and never gave him a reason as to why. You follow me so far tonight? Am I losing some of y'all? We happily do whatever it takes sometimes to clear your calendar to hang out with the people who mean the most to you. Somebody calls you, you're supposed to hang out with somebody else, like, yeah, I'm going to cancel. Give me a minute. I do that all the time, to be really honest. <laughs> I, I hung out with you all Sunday. Stop. And often I will cancel other things to go hang out with, with, with other people who, not that anybody means more to me, but there's some people who I can feed off of more. You follow me so far? I'm going to go somewhere with this. Tell somebody he's going somewhere. Within the book of James, we find the greatest invitation ever issued by God. And it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you stop a moment to ponder this, the creator of the universe, um, he created the earth and all its inhabitants. He requests your presence. If you just took a second to think about that, that the God of all the universe, he wants to hang out with you. Yeah, that's, that's about what I thought when I really got a hold of it. I sat in my office and I was like, woo! I went to, um, I went to the uncle, uncle's bookstore today and I walked in there on a prayer vigil and there was this elderly um, Caucasian lady and she was praying over everybody in the place. And after every prayer, you know she was a real prayer warrior, you know how I knew? Because she was excited after she prayed. She really believed that God was going to finish and do exactly what she prayed for. You know how I know she knew? Because after every prayer, and she prayed for me too, she caught me by the hands. You know what? I'm just going to pray with you. And she prayed for like everything under the sun for me, over me, above me. And she's like, where's your car? I'll pray for that too. No, but after every prayer, 
she gave a victory sign. That I knew that she was walking in victory. You know what it was? Little old lady. must have been like 60-something years old. Woo! After every prayer. I believe God's going to do it. Woo! I was like, <laughs> like, yo, this little old lady's crazy. It's like, uncle, who is that? She's she one of my first employees. That's what we did all day when I first opened the store. We just prayed all day. And she was laying hands on this little Spanish guy, and she was just like praying for like 15 minutes straight, Ricky, on a stranger. Praying for a stranger. And then I knew she was serious. You know why? Woo! I was like, <laughs> looking around at the other customers. I was like, oh, my God. This little, isn't that weird? And she's just, just praying, and then she's going on to the next person, and, and she's grabbing hands of everybody, and she's talking to me, and she caught me over the register, like right in front of the register. Like people couldn't even check out because I was there, and she was holding hands with me. I tried getting behind the counter so she wouldn't leave me alone, and she was just like, let me pray with you, Pastor. And then she ended up, whoa! I was like, oh, praise God. But understand this, I'm getting somewhere, is that when she's gotten this concept in her life that God desires her presence. When you understand that God desires to hang out with you, and you could be the biggest loser in the world, God wants to hang out with you. Tell the person next to you, you? Like, say it in disbelief, you? Isn't that amazing? Ed, God wants to hang out with you. Isn't that crazy? Come on. You should be excited. What's your name? Kelly. Hi, Kelly. I've seen you before, haven't I? Kelly, God wants to hang out with you. He wants to hang out with me. I don't even know why, you know? I just, that, that's, think about that for a second. Oh my God, God wants to hang out with me. When you can understand that God desires to hang out with you, you begin to realize something. That you got to take this serious. It's like when you're in high school and the coolest person in the school says, um, why don't you come to my house? We're having a party. And you're like, oh my garage. They want to hang out with me. And you go home and you're trying to like, you know, figure out what you're going to wear and this and this and that. Anybody ever been to one of those first-time parties with the cool people? Yeah. It's like that. God wants to do it one more time. Look at somebody next to you. You. Thank you, Manny. Nobody's back there. Everybody look back at Manny and say, you. <laughs> like that one. You. And when we realize that God desires to hang out with us, we've got to get excited. Not only does he want your presence, but he desires to be intimately close with you because we're told in Exodus 34, 14 that he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. Exodus 34, 14. You know what the word passionate means? You know what it is to have zeal, energy? This little old lady today had energy. She was just praying over everybody. She had a passion to do God's work. Anybody ever felt like you had a loss of passion? Be honest. Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Yes. And you, you were in one of those moments. You, I think that everybody in the course of a week goes through that moment of, um, I don't think I can do this. This God stuff is just too much for me. At least twice a week you probably think, is there really a God? Because I saw something on the Discovery Channel when it messed my head up. And we get into these moments where we begin to doubt and we'll text somebody, and then somebody gives us an inspirational scripture, and we're fine for another 72 hours. But when you understand real passion, you will understand that there is nothing that can really dissuade you over the fact that God is passionate about a relationship with you. 
It's like God don't care how much you mess up. He don't care how much you've gone wrong, gone astray. He don't care about nothing. He's still chasing after you every last second of your life. And when you realize that God is passionate about a relationship with you, then you begin to understand that this is a lot more serious than what you think. Amen? Ever been in a relationship that wasn't really a relationship, and then you found out that somebody else took it more serious than you did? Did you follow that? Everybody follow that one? I'll say it again. Have you ever been in a relationship, then you found out that the other person thought it was more serious than it actually was because it wasn't really a relationship. It was just, I'm going to kick it to you because you're convenient right now. We're going back to our high school days, some of y'all last week, I'm just saying. And what happens is that somebody ends up getting hurt. Those phone calls are hard, and usually when I was younger, I was like, you know, I'm going to chase after God, and I can't talk to you no more. That was my line, chasing after God. You've got to realize that in some points, that's how your relationship is with God, that it's a lot more serious to him than it is to you, that he takes it a lot more serious than you do because he understands that it's life or death. You, don't, you just can't seem to understand that there, we don't seem to understand the concept of death. Nobody wants to think about death. Isn't that funny? We never, ever want to talk about death because it's so morbid and it's disgusting. But the fact of the matter is the reason we're doing all this now is an investment into the time that we do die that we're going to be set. We'll be straight. We'll be okay. You following me? Because God is passionate about a relationship with you. He wants you to do something about your now so your future and your eternity can be all set. God's unwavering desire is to have a relationship with you. He is the one who has issued the invitation for he longs to know you because why? That's why he made you. And since the fall of man, he's put a plan in action from, um, from Adam to Jesus. He's put a plan into action on how to regain intimacy with you. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten God, meaning Jesus, is what we've seen of him, of his presence. And he brought him here. Why? He brought him here just for one purpose, so that he can regain intimacy with you. You've got to put Jesus into perspective and realize that the whole reason his entire life existed was not just to give you eternal life, but because God wanted to have eternal life with you so you can be with him. You hear this? You're hearing this. It's just so that you can be and spend time with him. You think he just wants you in heaven just to be up there and never talk to him, never hang out with him? That's not what God wants. That's not God's desire. Adam, the Bible says, knew God openly, but because of sin and disobedience, he was separated from the glory of God. And he extended the fate of death to all mankind. And, and men and women could no longer see God and because we had this thing within us that was called sin that God could not live around and we would drop dead in the presence of God. But yet God yearned with great compassion to redeem the fellowship between you and him. Understand that the reunion of God and man has not been preached or experienced to its fullest extent because so many of us have, have just not grasped the concept of intimacy with God. We've emphasized the liberation from sin and death, but neglected to declare the intimate fellowship that God really wants. So we talk about being forgiven of sins, we're talking about being free from sin, but we're not talking about how to be, now that we're free, how to be intimate with God, amen? In case you need an illustration of what that is, it's like you get out of a horrible relationship and never go back into the relationship. That's what it is like, because God desires to take you out of your relationship with sin, he wants you to divorce the world. 
And he wants you to come into a relationship with him, with his spirit, amen? Understand that we're going to look at a couple of stories here in the Old Testament, I want to breeze through them, that are really truly great depictions. Um, I've always been amazed by the contrast of attitudes and behavioral patterns between Moses and the children of Israel. The book of Exodus opens with um, Abraham's descendants suffering under Egyptian rule. They're slaves and they're captives, and they've been in Egypt for almost 400 years. And in the beginning, they enjoyed the favor of the land, but now they're slaves and they're completely just dominated by Egypt. Somebody say dominated. Understand the Lord, moved by their prayers, sent a deliverer named Moses. Somebody say Moses. Though Moses was born a Hebrew, he'd escaped slavery and was raised as a grandson to Pharaoh in his household. He was a prince of Egypt, and he moved by the plot of his brethren. He fled for his life because he killed an Egyptian for beating a Hebrew. Isn't that ironic? He had all this favor, amen? He had everything, all the best things in Egypt, and yet he went down and fought for one of his brethren and got kicked out of the country, right? Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage parallels your, your um, deliverance from slavery of sin. Egypt, of course, you know, represents the world, and Israel is a type and a, a simile of the church. And when we're born again, we're set free from the world systems of tyranny and oppression. Got one amen. Somebody's catching this. It's not hard to imagine how the Israelites, being cruelly abused, um, you got to understand their backs were probably scarred, their hands were all messed up from all the work they did by Pharaoh's taskmasters. Um, their homes were completely slums. They were living in the depths of poverty, in the depths of depression. They had no hope of inheritance. They were slaves, and they were, they were just, for one reason, they were there to build whatever Pharaoh wanted. They um, wept as thousands of their infant sons. I don't think you can put this into perspective that thousands of Hebrew babies were murdered in the course of a few years. Tens of thousands. If you got to put it in this perspective, that if two million people left, you can probably guarantee that 500,000 people or babies were killed. You got to put that into perspective that in the course of just a few years, uh, the last few years of their captivity, close to probably 500,000 babies are being killed. You hearing that? When you put that into perspective, you have to understand their view of their slavery. Though they suffered all this cruelty, it's so funny how they were quick to forget it. Because what happened was this, was that when Moses took them out into the desert, um, when things just started to get bad after a few months, their first thing was this, you brought us out of Egypt to die. I cannot believe you brought us here to die. And they talked about electing leaders to go back into Egypt and become their slaves again. Isn't that, I just, that boggles my mind. God answers their prayers. Um, in, in Numbers 14, 14, uh, 14, 4, they said, let us select a leader to return to Egypt. Emphasis added, of course. They were really excited about going back. The funny thing is this, Moses was the only one whom the conditions of Egypt had been better. He had the best food, the best clothes, the best education. He had the best of everything, yet he did not want to go back, even knowing he could have the best being the, the prince of Egypt. And yet the Israelites wanted to go back. You're probably saying, Pastor, what does that got to do with me? Because sometimes when God brings you out of sin, you keep going back. This church is boring. This church life is so boring, and I can't handle this. And, oh, my God, I'm so lonely and depressed, and I'm so, oh, God, 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 God. And we just get so bitter. I'm going to go back and just, there's a little bit of sin. And we keep on going back into Egypt. 
We go back into Egypt, and before you know it, you're completely enslaved all over again. Why? Because you could not understand how to get intimate with God in the place where he wanted to meet you at. Because you could not understand that there was a sincerity that God was passionate about his relationship with you. So we decided it's okay to swing back and forth. The moment things get tough, how many of you know that you start doing things you should not do? Thinking things you should not think. Acting ways you should not act. Somebody say amen. Understand the only person that it would have been better for to go back was Moses. But yet Moses himself did not want to go back. Because he knew something. He knew that momentary satisfaction would lead to a lifetime of slavery. You've got to understand the sin that you're in in your life, the momentary issues or moments that seem fun, will only lead to one thing, being enslaved to sin. And this is all the adverse effects of not drawing near to God. This is what happens when we don't draw near to God. What made the difference? The, what made the difference of what Moses desired and what the people of Israel desired? Do you know what it was? Was that Moses had encountered God. Moses understood what following God was. He understood what being in communion was because he met God on top of a mountain on Mount Sinai. He met him there and he saw the burning bush. And you could got to understand that when God called him, Moses went. And yet Israel, two million of them right here just saying, I don't want to do this no more. Well, I'm just tired of manna now. Take us back to Egypt. I'd rather be a slave. Tell the person next to you, do you want to be a slave? Understand that Israel was presented to, um, by God for the main purpose of just bringing them so he could have a communion with them and so that they can encounter God. He says it in 19, Exodus 19, 14, that, um, that I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. That's all God wanted. He said, I wanted you to bring you to myself. Why? So that he can have an encounter with them. But two million Hebrews missed their destiny in the desert. God longing for intimacy with you. Tell the person next to you, you. His longing for that intimacy never decreases, never deceases, never changes. The value of it never depreciates. You got to understand that nothing ever changes in the way God wants to communion with you. The only thing that changes is your will and your desire to commune with God. We read how Moses said to himself, this is powerful, Exodus 3.3. 3. Um, Moses is in the desert. He's tending to his flocks, and he sees this, this, this fire on top of this mountain. And Moses says, I will turn aside. Doesn't sound that powerful, does it? He says, I will now turn aside and see. That word turn aside in Hebrew, it, it's spelled C-U-W-R. It's called kua. And um, it's described as this. It means to turn off. And that is how it is defined in English. So he says, I will turn off of my path. I will turn off of the route I am going. I'm going to get off this route, and I'm going to go a different route so I can encounter God. So when he say, I'm going to turn, I'm going to, I'm going to cool it really means that I'm going to turn away from what I'm doing and I'm going to go off this path so I can go on to another path and seek God. Once he responded, we read that God said this. So when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. 
You're saying, Pastor, what does that got to do with anything? As long as the bush was on fire, the presence of God was on the mountain. But God did not speak to Moses until Moses turned off the path that he was on for his own life and decided to follow the path that God had for his life. And once he drew near to God, God called to him and said, Moses! So you may see God moving in your life. You may see God blessing your finances. You may see God blessing your relationship, blessing your household. You may get that car you want. You may get that raise. You may have all those spiritual blessings in the world. But if you are not answering the call of God, and when you see God drawing near to him, he will never call to you. You cannot judge your relationship with Christ by how good your life is going because the favor of God is on you. The favor of God and the grace of God are two different things. I don't care how much money you got in your pocket. I don't care how, how well off you are right now. I don't care how well off you are not right now. You cannot judge God by your circumstances. Your relationship with Christ has nothing to do with your finances. And the only reason that you are blessed is because he loves you and because you're going to church. But it does not mean you're being used by God. It does not mean you're in the will of God. And it does not, does not mean that God is calling unto you. Because God is not calling to us. God is not calling you unless you draw near to him. Then, then and only then will he be able to beckon unto you. When you respond to the call, then God's going to speak into your life. You following me today? Am I making sense for you so far? It wasn't until then that the Lord was able to speak into Moses. I believe um, the, the Lord would have gone no further if Moses had not responded. God did not call him when the flocks were controlled or corralled at Jethro's place, his father-in-law. It wasn't the most convenient time when God called him. He was in the middle of the desert tending to sheep. And Moses probably could have said, oh, well, if I go and check out this mountain and I go look at this fiery burning bush that is not consumed, then my sheep and my flocks are going to go all over the place. And then I'm not going to have no time because then I have to come back down and I'm going to have to get all these sheep and get them all back together. And it's going to be too much of a hassle. So I'm not going to seek God because it's not convenient for me right now. That's how some of us act, though. It's not convenient to seek God right now. It's not convenient to study the Bible, to read and pray and seek God and, and, be, and worship God the right way right now. I'm too happy in my life right now, right now. It's never convenient when God calls you, but it is right. You hearing me? When God speaks to your life, it's never the time you want it to be. I was not ready to be a pastor when God called me to be. He knew that I was ready. You might not have been ready to get saved when you got saved, but you got ready. Because why? Because God called you and you encountered God. You've got to understand that at the most inconvenient times of your life, God is going to call you. To the person next to you, it ain't going to be convenient. You have to understand this concept. Moses could have said, well, if I get distracted for tending these flocks, they'll wander. They'll go all over the place. They can take hours to get them. I don't know what the after effects. You've got to answer the call of God and trust God for the rest of it. You've got to answer the call of God and say, I don't know what's going to happen to my sheep, to my household. I don't know what's going to happen to my finances, God. But I know that I'm trusting in you. And I know that if I trust in you, because I'm seeking you, God, and I'm, I'm going to where I can see you're moving. And when I see you moving, God, I know that that's a place where I need to be so you can call unto me. You hearing that? You've got to understand that some people may reason and say that God, if Moses had not gone to the mountain, that God would have done something more drastic to get Moses' attention. But I don't believe that. 
That's not the way God operates. I'll show you why. Amen. Um, in the story of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, where you have Samuel as a young boy in the, t- in the, in the temple with a, serving under the priest Eli and his sons. And, and one evening he lies down, Samuel does, and Samuel hears a voice calling him, and he says, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs into Eli's room and says, yes, Eli, you called me. He said, uh, Samuel, I didn't call you. He said, go back to bed. Second time. He hears it again, Samuel! And Samuel runs back to Eli's room and he says, you called me, master, you called me. And he says, Samuel, I didn't call you. You you hearing this? The third time, he goes back to his room. He hears, Samuel! Samuel! He runs back into Eli's room and says, master, surely you've called me. And at this point, you have to understand that God never changed what he was doing. He just kept calling. Because Samuel was positioned in the temple, in a place where God can get a hold of him. And as he went to Eli the last time, you know the story, the Bible says that Eli said, well, well, the next time just say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. You hearing this? So the fourth time when he hears, Samuel, Samuel, he says, speak for your servant hears. And the Lord began to speak to him mysteries and hidden revelations about the future of Israel. Why? Because when he heard the call and he saw God doing so, he answered God. And once he answered God in earnest heart, God began to reveal the fullness of what his life held. Draw near to God, he draws near to you. Samuel literally encountered God as a young boy in the house of someone, he had to go back and tell Eli, well, God told me that you and your sons are going to die. That was one of the mysteries that God showed him, that his master and his sons were going to die. That's horrible. But yet, when you encounter God, you're not always going to be the most popular person. You've got to understand that. Some people are not going to like you, and that's okay. At some point, you've got to hope that you do the right thing and that God loves you, so what's it matter? Amen? God could have done something different. Perhaps the second time when he saw Samuel wasn't getting it, he could have said, Samuel, don't run to Eli. It's me, Jesus. I'm the Lord, and I'm calling you. You hearing this? But in this way, he wouldn't have been acting as himself. He desires to be wanted and recognized as well as to be known. God wants you to be able to recognize his voice. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. You hearing that? It was just the other day I was watching the video of um, uh, Megan Howard and the proposal that me and Yvette were at down in um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was a great moment. It was really, really cool the way they did it all. Uh, they sang a beautiful song in the background. And as this guy's talking and just bawling his heart out about his salvation story, and he's just crying up there with tears streaming down his face. And, and I'm on the video, and I'm like, come on, come on, you can do this. Come on. You're talking right. And Emma and Heather go, that's you. That's your voice. And I said, why would I be there? That's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Come on, seriously. And they had this puzzled look on their face almost. I don't know. Heather was really puzzled. Emma was just kind of convinced it was me. And, and then I said it again. Come on. And like, that, that's you. No, that's you. That's you. That's you. This went on for about, what, three minutes? And then finally, 20 minutes, right? It felt like 20 minutes, right? It was a long video. He was talking forever. And then finally he proposed at the end. But the point was this is that, um, uh, at the end of the video, when they turn the camera around, you see me and Yvette sitting there. 
And Heather's like, I told you it was you. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> and I was like, well, my sheep know my voice. And Emma was like, I think you said it with me. We were laughing about it. He goes, I know your voice, Pastor. I know how you say, come on. It was something along those lines. And it's funny because you have to understand to be able to hear God wherever. Even when you don't see him, you got to be able to understand to recognize his voice. Because sometimes there are going to become situations that, that because you've been trained for so long not to receive God in that fashion that you may not expect God in that direction of your life. But when it finally does come, bam, you got to be able to recognize that it's God. Did you catch that? You got to be able to recognize God in every facet of your life. <clears throat> Looking at the Gospels, we see a similar pattern when Jesus finishes feeding the 5,000 um, with the five loaves and two fish. He tells the disciples to go in a boat and to go before them to the other side of the sea. He departs to the mountain to spend time with his father. Later that evening, the disciples were still toiling against the wind to cross the sea when we read about Jesus. And it says in um, Mark chapter 6, 48, now about the fourth watch of the night, which is about three in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And the Bible says, and he would have passed them by. Notice the words, would have passed them by. The New International Standard Bible says, and he intended to pass them by. And that's how it's translated in Greek. He intended to pass them by. However, when they saw him, they cried out to him and he responded, be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. He got into the boat and the wind ceased. And if they had not cried out, the Bible really tells you he would have kept walking past them. Sometimes you're going to be as close as Jesus right there. And unless you call out to him, unless you call out to him, the Bible says he intended to pass them by, to beat them over to the other side. But yet they called to him. They drew near to God. They cried out to him and he went near to them. And then he calmed the storm in their life. Are you having a storm in your life? Call unto God. Are you having a rough time during the week? Call unto God. You're having a, a, a hard time dealing with your lifestyle? Call unto God. You're having a rough time with your finances? Call unto God. You're having a bad time letting go of some sins? I'm telling you, it's as simple as calling out to God. We read those verses for the last six months, I think. Call unto God and he will answer you. I will show you great and mighty hidden things, fenced in things. All these scriptures about seek and ye shall find. Ask and it shall be given. Knock and the door shall be opened. It's simple instructions you've got to believe, man. When you draw near to God, he draws near to you. It seems to be God's pattern to make a step towards us. And if we respond, he takes another step and he draws closer. If we don't respond, he does not push his way in or cut in on our dance, per se. We know if Moses had not turned aside... God would have just waited on Moses. If Samuel did not say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening, he would have still been calling Samuel until he realized that it was God. If the disciples never called to Jesus, they would have been in that storm for the whole night. But yet in the middle of the storm, in the midst of all their turmoil, they were able to see, that's, that's, that's Jesus, because that guy's walking on the water. That's kind of... A little sketchy. That's got to be somebody cool. Oh, I know who that could be, that JC guy. If I was at Jesus, I probably would have called him JC. That's just me, but I'm just saying. You've got to understand that I don't care how bad it seems. 
that, man, you've got to really just call unto God. There's a part that we always forget about in that verse. And it says, uh, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded folks. Did you catch that? Clean your hands, because you've been doing some dirty things. Ye sinners, it causes us. <laughs> and purify your hearts. That means go through the purging fire of the Holy Spirit and purify the things in your heart that have no business being in your life. Take them out. Somebody say, ouch. And it says, ye double-minded. That's kind of like double-minded. I have this verse that is stuck in my head that I did a preaching on a long time ago, and it's uh, James chapter 1, verse 8. Turn in your Bibles if you have that. I want you to mark this down so I can break down what this means. I'm almost done. Don't worry. You look tired. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. James chapter 1, verse 8. James chapter 1, verse 8. If you don't have a pen, grab a pen from somebody around you or after they're done with their highlighter, ask them kindly to use it. I feel that you need to really just highlight this scripture. And it says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is unstable. Underline that circle. Do something. Put a height. Put like a star there, an asterisk. Do something there. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, ye double-minded. But before that, it tells you a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What does that mean? That if you're half for God during half the week, and you're half living the way you want to half the week, that you can't expect that only, you can't expect that the rest of your life is going to be good. You've got to understand that you're going to be double-minded with your friends, double-minded in your relationships, double-minded with your finances. One moment you want to save, next moment you don't. That's why the Bible, or excuse me, the body of Christ is so filled with confused Christians because we're double-minded. And because we're so double-minded with Christ, Carmen, they don't know how to run the rest of their life. I can guarantee you we got some people in this church who are not double-minded. I'll put my money that Carmen's not double-minded. Is she perfect? No. Far from it. What you say? What did you say? Don't rub it in. <laughs> but Carmen has made a decision in her life to serve God, to be a prayer warrior, to be right in all she does as best as she can humanly do, and she's not double-minded. You're not going to find her cussing somebody out when she gets mad. She might say, Rependo Diablo and hit you with a, with a chancla or a stick or something, but she's not going to be double-minded in what she does. Does that mean she doesn't sin? No. I bet you she does sin. But she's not double-minded in the sense of some of us younger Christians are, how we're double-minded. One day we believe God, the next day we don't. Carmen stands on faith like there ain't no tomorrow. She's as tough as nails. That's why when Carmen tears up or something, we're like, oh, my God, Carmen has a tear in her eyes. The night my father passed away, she was the only person that was able to come here and be strong with me. And she said, we're going to pray, and God's going to work this all out. She walked in with the first person to meet me here. And she said, no, I don't feel right about this, and we're going to pray, and it's going to be all right. She, she was giving me scripture after scripture, and she was not double-minded. Her faith never wavered in the face of adversity. She had unwavering faith in God, and that's the way she is with her finances and the rest of her life. That's why she's blessed. 
That's why she can sit there and, and say, I'll be done paying my house off in a couple years. Or I'll be done finished paying my car early. Or I'm going on 10,000 vacations this year to wherever I want to go on the globe. Why? Because when you're not devil-minded in what you do, you can be blessed by God in everything in your life. But if you find yourself struggling with your finances, I guarantee you you're struggling with your relationship with God. If you find yourself struggling with sin and old bad habits, I guarantee you it's because you're not 100% set in your ways for Christ. If you find yourself missing people you should not be missing, let me tell you, you need to get Christ deeper into your heart. Am I telling you to be a Jesus freak? No. I can't stand fake Christians. I'm living in victory with the biggest sourpuss face you could possibly muster. How are you in victory? How are you? Great. Are you doing good? Yes. Because we're double-minded. It's like during the sun hours, it's a beautiful day. Nighttime hits it. <laughs> and we're all sad and distraught. I know everybody has been through a time in your life where you're like sad and messed up and don't know why. Double-mindedness. Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know what that word unstable means? To be unstable? To not have the lack of stability is unstable? Stability meaning the the equilibrium in your life, the balance of scales, and, and to be able to not be one way or the other, but to be right in the middle position perfectly. One minute you're in left field, next minute you're in right field. Why? Why? Because a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. If you're double-minded for Christ, you're going to be double-minded with your family. That's why sometimes we can't respect them all the time. If you're, I'm guilty of this. I'm not Jesus. I'm telling you. This is why I can teach this stuff because I'm going through it, and I'm learning through my life experience what God expects of us. By no means can you think that pastors achieved all this and more. No, not at all. But I realize what God wants from us. When I realize that if I am unstable with God at the rest of my life, because God is the balance of my life. He is the centerpiece. And if the centerpiece is all jacked up, you best believe the rest of it is going to be a hot mess. I guarantee you that a lot of you right now, your centerpieces needs to be stronger in Christ. And you're sitting there saying, yes, but I don't know how. How? By calling unto God. It starts with prayer. If you begin to earnestly pray with pray, pray and to seek God. And, and you know what? Can I... I was talking to Deanna the other day, and we were talking about um, just different people, not people, but different situations within the church and different things that we saw the enemy trying to do. And we were talking about how everybody says, um, if everybody says that they're bored and lonely, then why don't all these bored and lonely folk just get together? I'm just so tired of, well, I have nothing to do at night. Just call me. I'm doing nothing. Well, you're not doing nothing, and then you're not doing nothing. Half the people in the church are talking about they're bored and lonely, but none of them seek to call each other up and say, well, let's be bored and lonely together. And we're all sitting home thinking we're the only person being bored and lonely. And everybody is sitting here posting these, these sad things on Facebook trying to, you know, get subliminal messages about how they're lonely. And, and all these things. And, like, you know, you're in this bubble of your life that nobody loves me until Friday night comes and I'm at church and I'm with my friends. Call somebody up. Get on the phone with somebody. Text somebody. Go hang out with one of the brothers and sisters in Christ. Because half of y'all are talking about I'm bored and lonely and I get stressed out at night. Well, that's the perfect time to make plans with somebody. It's so obnoxious to watch the devil defeat half of y'all with the same demon and y'all never even know because y'all too proud to tell somebody else what you're dealing with. 
And the whole church is getting knocked out by depression. Why? Because they're lonely. Lonely. That's why I hung out with Carlos all day on Sunday. We had a good old time. We wasn't lonely. You can ask Ed. I'll go call Ed up. What you doing, Ed? Let's hang out, man. I'm not letting this lonely demon catch my life. I called Ruben up. I was like, what are you doing? Let's go get something to eat. I'm just, I'm not, not today. Not today, devil. <laughs> nice try. I'll sit there and I'll go to Evelyn's house and I'll hang out with Des or I'll go, I'll go, you know, buy the lorry or somebody. I'll come to the church and we'll, the, 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 the guys will play music and, and I'll be whatever I got to do. So I'm not going to be sitting there worried about being stressed out. Sometimes do it get me? You know what? Sometimes I, I'm unprepared in my life. You can ask Jim. I'll text Jim all day. We'll just talk all day about whatever. Why? So I don't feel like I'm detached from the world. Because I understand that if I'm with somebody, that if I am, you know, but it's not the same pastor. You know what kind of lonely I mean. <laughs> yeah? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the real lonely. That I can be in a room full of people and be lonely. Y'all got to get over this. We've got to get, we got to move past this whole self-pity thing. We've got to move past it. we got to get into victory mode. You know why? Because ain't nobody going to want you if you're always just moping around in your life. At some point, you've got to realize that you can be the busted, the most ugliest person in the world, but it's your personality that will attract somebody. That's why you go to the mall, you say the ugliest guys with the hottest chicks. Why? Because their personality rocks. You'll see some great-looking guy with a busted chick. Why? Because her personality is off the hook, and that's what they fell for. But you're, you can look as good as, you know, fine as wine, but walking around, ain't nobody going to want to touch you. At first it's good, and then after that, they'll be like, oh, my garage. I want to leave that alone. You got to walk in victory to expect somebody in victory to come into your life. You hearing that? You can't beat that lonely demon until you deal with it. You've got to wrestle with that demon. You've got to say, tag team that bad boy and just say, you know what? Let, let's hang out because I'm not going to let this fool catch me. Don't clap if you're not going to do it when you get lonely. So sick of amens and then call me a week later, I'm lonely. What am I doing? Everybody's sitting here. Everybody's sitting here thinking, I can't believe he's talking about this because we talked about it last week. Because all y'all called me. <laughs> I'm not talking about any one of y'all. All y'all called me. Facebook me, text me. It's just, Realize that we're struggling with the same thing. If you're double-minded with your relationship with Christ, that if you let these enemies, these, these spirits get into your mind, this depression, that you will be unstable in all you do in your life. Why? Because you failed to draw near to God. You failed to get off your plan, your path, like Moses and said, I'm turning off this path and I'm following God. I'm getting off my plan. I'm, gonna, you know, I'm not going to do this no more. I want to encounter God. And when you want to encounter God, let me tell you, son, the greatest days of your life are ahead of you. I find it funny that in the last few years, I've had some of the greatest moments of my life. When humanly, I should have the most saddest moments. Let me tell you, I've had some of the greatest victory. I can literally stand and say, death, where is thy sting? Because you know what? It did nothing but brought me victory after victory after victory in my life. Why? Because I chose to walk God's path. Was there moments where I took detours? Yeah. Huh. Who doesn't? It's like, I'm going to help God this week. I've got a plan. 
And at the end of the week, when it just crashed and burned before my eyes, and uh, I said, oh, let me go back to God's path, because my path didn't seem to work that good. Your path gets you into trouble. It gets you into legal trouble sometimes. <laughs> Let's be real. Your path gets you into losing friends and losing your loved ones and, and burning bridges with your family and your friends, and you end up hurting people. Anybody ever hurt somebody unintentionally in your life? Like just whether offending them or, or doing something that was just so wrong that you, right now you sit here and say, I wish I never did that because you were off God's path. How is it saying hurt people hurt people? You've got to understand something, people. You've got to understand something, that God's path is not going to be easy. Everybody says, the Bible says the joke is easy, his burden's light. Your version of light might be different from mine's. You go to the world's strongest man in 300 pounds, that's light for him because he's over there lifting eight. You go to me 300 pounds and I will probably like, I'll, no, I wouldn't even keel over, like my insides will come out, like just psh, Literally. You ever seen that picture of that guy? He was powerlifting and his uh, intestines came out of, yeah, yeah. Went out the back door, bam, all of it. Why? Because the weight was too much and it exploded. True story. Don't pull the big truck. Don't do that. No. And, and it actually ripped through his clothes. He had, the, he had one of those spandex outfits on. and you got to realize that, that, that see, can, you, can, you, can I just end with this? Can I end with this? The Bible says his what is easy, his what is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, when you think about this, if I told you the Bible says be joyful in hope, if you have to have hope, what does that mean? No, 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 no. That's a good one, though. I love you. If you have to have hope, what does that mean, people? No, 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 no. What situation do you have to have hope in? Desperate. When there's no hope, the Bible says be joyful in your hope. And then he went and said this. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That sounds real cute. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. We need to realize that there's still a yoke. And there's still going to be a burden. And we seem to get surprised when things get rough. No one told me it was going to be like this. I could have handled this, but not this. Man, I had, to, I had to Jesus smack somebody today via text message. They texted me. They had a very, let me tell you something, they had a very 100% valid reason of why to be sad today. 100% valid reason. Received some horrific news. And um, I didn't care. I was like heartless. Excuse me? You said what? You cannot talk with unbelief. I rebuke you. You need to have faith. You need to believe God. You can't sit there and practice Jesus and take in all these preachings, and then when it comes time to use it, you toss it out the window and say, oh, no! That's foolishness. <laughs> you can't sit there and every week be receiving from the pastor, receiving, and when it comes time to practice it, Rick, they throw it all out the window. That is foolishness. Jesus smacked them for about 30 minutes. They just kept on sending me frown faces. 
I know, I know, until I got a smile. I went to their house, and I was about to walk up these steps, and you better, you better get this right and get it together. You don't have an option to be sad down and out because a man who is double-minded in one thing is double-minded in everything. You don't got time to doubt God because if you doubt God, you'll doubt everything in your life. You begin to doubt your family, your relationships. You begin to doubt your job, your career choices. You will doubt everything. But if you ground your life on God and no matter what hell or high water comes your way, you say, I'm believing God because I'm drawing near to him. And I know that if I draw near to him, he comes close to me. And when you get that down, Pat, nothing, nothing can really stop you. No, no amounts of bad news can stop you. You're hearing this? You're grasping that concept? You're going to have a yoke. You're going to have a burden. It's coming. John 16, 33, my last scripture for you. Scripture I told this person today who was receives horrific news. I kid you not, life or death news they received, and I rebuked them for doubting God. They were told that somebody they love might not even make it the next couple months. They don't know how much time they have until parts of their body give out. And what did I tell them? John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for God has overcome the world. Jesus said it, for I have overcome the world. In this world, you will, somebody say, I will have trouble, but take heart. I doubt Jesus said, take heart. It wasn't just like, you know, hey, it's going to be okay. I bet you he said it with a lot of passion. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. You with me? Do you think you can do this? Somebody told me something ironic this morning. They said, Pastor, today's hump day. I said, what? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. They said, no, it's hump day. I said, what do you mean hump day? Well, it's Wednesday. It's like the middle of the week. You're halfway over the hump. Now you got to go down. I said, oh, I gotcha. I get it. You got it, Rosa? Middle of the week of the hump coming down. It's the middle of the week, Wednesday, you get to the top, go down. <laughs> you get that, guys? Wednesday, it should be the highest point of your week. Wednesday, the day that you are like down and out sometimes, it should be the day you're having the most victory. You're just have, I just got three more days left. I can do this. I can make it. No matter what comes my way, I can make it to Sunday. I just got three more days left to the next week of the rest of my life. You should go to bed tonight and say, tomorrow is the first day of the rest of my life. And I can make it. I can do it. Why? Because I am drawing near to God. And when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. All right? I love how he ends that with ye double-minded. Because he knows that if you have not drawn near to God yet, it's because you're doubting God. If you're not drawing near to God yet, he understands it's because you are a sinner, your heart is not purified, and you're double-minded with God. If you reverse that scripture, it would read something like this. I'm going to cleanse my hands and purify my heart because I'm double-minded. And if I draw near to God, he will draw near to me. 
So I challenge you, draw near to God, because he will, somebody say will, draw near to you. Come on, stand with me right now. You can stop that recording, Ruben. Or he, there you go.